Hello and welcome to New Things Under the Sun. I'm Matt Clancy. This week's episode, Innovation at the Office. For decades, the office was the default way to organize workers. But that default is being re-examined. Many workers, including me, uh, prefer working remotely, and they seem to be at least as productive working remotely as they are in the office. Meanwhile, remote-capable organizations can hire from a bigger pool of workers than is available locally. All in all, Remote work seems to have been underrated relative to just a few years ago. But that's not to say there aren't trade-offs. I've written before that physical proximity seems to be important for building new relationships, even though those relationships seem to remain productive as people move away from each other. This podcast narrows the focus down to the office. Does bringing people together in the office actually facilitate meeting new people? And spoiler, yes, it does. But I'm going to try and get more specific about how, when, and why this happens as well. Quick aside, this is a big literature and it goes back decades. I'm going to focus on relatively recent research that looks at scientists and startups and uses experimental and quasi-experimental approaches. But a lot of this recent work turns out to echo what earlier studies found using more observational approaches. You can check out Allen and Hen 2007 for one overview of some of that older literature. So let's move on. Let's start with buildings. Just are people more likely to work together on a project if they also work in the same building? Miranda and Claudel look at what happens to collaboration between MIT-affiliated professors and staff when they start working in the same building or they get separated uh, due to a series of renovations and new building projects that took place over 2005 to 2015. Every year, they look at each pair of 1,417 MIT authors to see if the authors' offices were in the same building and if they were co-authors on a paper. What they want to do is they want to estimate the impact of being in a building together. But that presents a bit of a challenge because we might expect people to seek out offices in the same building as their expected collaborators. But then that would mean they would have ended up working together whether they succeeded in getting co-located offices or not. And that could overstate the impact of being in the same building. So Miranda and Claudel try to estimate the impact of being in the same building after you adjust for a particular pair of authors' underlying propensity to collaborate regardless of location. And you can see the newsletter for some, you know, technical details on how they do that. But essentially, you pick a random pair of MIT co-authors and identify two years where they had the same number of publications in the preceding year. If this pair was in the same building in one of those comparison years and not in the same building in the other one, well, then they tended to publish an extra 0.004 papers together in the year that they were in the same building. Now, an extra 0.004 papers might not seem like much, but that's because most random pairs of MIT scientists don't put out any papers together in a given year. If you've got 1,417 MIT authors, then there are over a million possible ways to pair them all off. But this group only puts out 38,000 papers uh, written with multiple MIT authors over a decade. That works out to about 0.004 papers per pair per year. So this implies moving people into the same building about doubles the number of papers they might be expected to put out together, at least sort of naively. And doubling is about the same order of magnitude found by another paper, Catalini 2017. Catalini focuses on the Université Pierre et Marie Curie, that's my attempt, sorry, and its 17-year quest to remove asbestos from its buildings. 
Asbestos removal required moving labs to new locations, typically based on just what space was available rather than as a way to sort of make inter-lab collaboration easier. And Catalini also finds when labs are moved into the same building, they put out about two and a half to 3.3 times as many joint publications as pairs of labs that are not moved together. Now that's for two people or two groups working in the same building. But buildings can be pretty big. What if we look within the building? Do we see similar effects for people with offices that are closer or farther away from each other? Roche, Oedel, and Catalini 2022 appears within a U.S. co-working space that hosts 251 different startups over the period 2014 to 2017. Whereas Miranda and Claudel 2021 and Catalini 2017, they needed to try and convince us that people are moving between these buildings for basically random reasons due to renovation. We don't have to worry about that in this new paper because the startup residents actually were randomly allocated to different places in the co-working hub, just very convenient for the researchers. It's just sort of true randomization. Now, a difficulty, though, is startups don't typically collaborate on easily observable projects like, say, scientific papers. Instead, Roche, Oedel, and Catalini look for evidence that the startups trade information using data from BuiltWith, which is a website uh, that transcribes which web technologies different startups and other companies use. For example, newthingsunderthesun.com is actually in this BuiltWith data set, uh, and it shows that my website uses Cloudflare for a bunch of stuff and that I registered the domain name from somebody called Tuco's or a company called Tuco's. Uh, you know, so suppose I move into this co-working space and there's a bunch of startups there and they use a web technology called Mixpanel to do A-B testing. Roche and co-authors can then see this in their data set and if they see that in my website I start using Mixpanel myself to do A-B testing for new things under the sun, then that suggests I learned about Mixpanel from some of the other startups that were already there. Roche, Oedel, and Catalini measure the shortest walking distance between each pair of startups on the same floor. And so walking distance is the shortest path you could actually walk, not as the crow flies. Uh, we're respecting walls, furniture, etc. And then they look at the probability that startups adopt each other's component web technologies. As you might expect, the closer two startups' workspaces are to each other, the more likely they are to use each other's stuff. But what's perhaps a bit surprising is that this effective distance is highly nonlinear. If you divide the startup pairs into four groups based on their proximity, you're going to find only the 25% that are closest exhibit any sign of knowledge sharing. It looks like being in the same building only matters if you're actually really close, in their case within, say, 66 meters. And that echoes a finding that's pretty common in some of the older literature I alluded to earlier. Proximity matters, but for most people, the value of proximity falls off very quickly. If you have to walk pretty far to talk with a co-located co-worker, well, then that co-worker might as well not even be co-located. Hassan and Koning 2019 get similar results in the context of a startup boot camp in India. They randomly assign 112 aspiring entrepreneurs to 40 different teams, whose location in a large open co-working space is also randomly assigned. Bootcamp attendees spend their first week developing a project, and Hassan and Koenig study how proximity between teams affected their interactions during the week. And in this case, to measure interactions, they survey people after this week is up. So, you know, they ask them questions like, do you know this person? Uh, did you ask them for advice for everybody in the, in the bootcamp? And then they also see if these people sent each other more messages via email or Facebook. 
As with Roche and co-authors, the impact of very minor distances seems to matter quite a lot. The probability bootcamp attendees reported they knew, sought advice from, or frequently messaged people on other teams, that drops really rapidly as the distance increases. And it's worth noting that all of the teams in this study by Hassan and Koenig were as close as the teams in the first quartile of the Roche, Oedel, and Catalini study. That's the ones where only the first 25% that were closest mattered. So this is sort of suggesting even among the top 25% closest startups, it seems likely the very closest are the ones that you mostly exchange information with. And note, in both of these studies, the location of teams is random. It's not as if people were grouped by the similarity of their work, and yet proximity seemed to matter quite a bit for information sharing regardless. So far, we found evidence that jamming people together in a building increases the probability that they exchange information and start joint projects, especially if their workplaces are very close within that building. And this could be for at least two reasons, though, that are different. First, being close might make it easier for people to communicate. And in fact, we sort of know this is true in the sense that you literally don't have to walk so far to talk face-to-face -face with somebody who is close to you. If face-to-face -face conversation is a much better way to trade information than digital messaging, then we're going to expect close coworkers to trade more information. And they might also decide to start more scientific projects together because they know it'll be easier to complete those projects when it's so easy to communicate across labs. So let's call this the communication advantage of proximity. Second, being close might make it easier to meet new people. You might not march across the room to introduce yourself to someone that you don't know, but you're pretty likely to introduce yourself to strangers that you're sitting next to every day. You're also more likely to overhear each other's conversations and be forced to sort of make small talk while in the same general space. And all this stuff could make it easier to just meet people who uh, you don't otherwise know. So let's call this the discovery advantage of proximity, because you're discovering other people that you didn't know about. Now, of the two, the communication advantage of proximity are seen as sort of so obvious that to some degree it's not even worth studying. And you can see that reflected in the fact that in Catalini 2017, Roche Oedel in Catalini 2022, and Hassan and Koenig 2019, that's three of the papers we've discussed, in all three of those, the fundamental work unit is sort of always kept very close together, whether that's a lab that's sharing a common space or a startup that's staring, you know, sharing a common corner of the co-working space or a boot camp team. So granting that a core team is going to be kept together, there's still this question of how do you group the teams? Should you sit similar teams near each other? Different teams? Doesn't matter at all. The relative strength of the communication and discovery advantages is important here. If the communication advantage is the most important thing, then you want to group together teams who need to work together frequently, since that makes it easier for them to work together efficiently. If the discovery advantage is the most important thing, then you would want to group teams who are unfamiliar with each other together, since proximity is going to help them discover each other. And there's a tension between these two, because teams who need to work together frequently would certainly discover each other in the course of working together, whether or not their workstations are nearby. On the other hand, People who need to discover each other might end up working together, but they don't know that in advance. Communication favors grouping people together who know each other um, so they can communicate easily, and discovery favors grouping together people who don't know each other. So taking it as a given that a core team will be co-located, all of these papers provide evidence that after that, the discovery advantage is the stronger of the two plausible channels. 
So taking it as given that there's going to be a core team that's always going to be co-located, all of these papers provide evidence that after that, the discovery advantage is the stronger. So Catalini 2017 provides the sharpest evidence of this. He points out that if the communication advantage is paramount, we should see a decline in collaboration when teams that were previously close get separated, since separation is going to make it more challenging to communicate and to work together. In contrast, if the discovery advantage is paramount, then there should be this asymmetry where being placed next to new labs encourages collaboration because you meet each other for the first time. But being separated does not decrease collaboration since you still remain aware of people you previously met. And this asymmetry is in fact what he does observe. Separation has only a modest effect on subsequent collaboration. Uh, Can't really statistically distinguish it from zero in fact. While being moved into the same building to somebody you don't know has a large impact on collaboration. Another surprising implication of this communication advantage is that it predicts that being moved together should lead to more lower potential projects being attempted. And that's because projects with a high potential benefit are more likely to be worth doing even if communicating is hard. It's the low potential benefit projects that are not attempted when interlab communication is hard and which might be attempted when proximity makes communication easier. You know, kind of like saying, this thing, this project's not that big a deal. It's, it's kind of not worth working on. But hey, we'll be next to each other and we can just do it over lunch. So let's do it. But we don't see much evidence of that either. In science, it's common to use the citations received by a paper to measure its impact. And so one way to check this is to see if labs that became co-located start doing more work that is relatively poorly cited. But in fact, Catalini finds the opposite. Labs that were previously separated and become co-located put out more highly cited work. Another difference between the communication and discovery advantages is that we should expect the discovery advantage to be strongest among groups that would otherwise remain unknown to each other, whereas the communication advantage is at its best neutral on this front, or potentially strongest among groups that are most likely to know each other already and hence want to work together. But in fact, we typically find the impact of proximity is strongest among groups that are likely to remain unknown to each other in the absence of proximity. Each of these papers documents this in different ways. Catalini 2017 creates a measure of the similarity of labs to each other based on either the citations their articles make or the keywords attached to the articles they write. And the more two labs cite the same articles or share the same keywords, the more similar they are by this measure. Catalini finds the increase in collaboration between labs when they get co-located is entirely driven by labs that are more different from each other rather than more similar. In other words, when two labs that work on similar scientific topics are co-located, they're not more likely to collaborate than if they're separated. And we can imagine these labs already knew of each other's work, and hence closer proximity was redundant in terms of helping them to discover each other. Meanwhile, advantages from easier communication don't seem to have mattered enough to induce more collaboration between these groups. Roche, Schoedel, and Catalini 2022 uses several different metrics to assess whether two startups are likely to be aware of each other. For example, analogously to Catalini's classification based on the articles cited by each lab, they look at the overlap in the web technologies used by different startups. If two startups use very similar tech stacks, well, that might indicate they are in a very similar business or maybe that they draw on advice from a similar pool of people. As another indicator of higher potential to already know each other, Roche and co-authors also look at pairs of startups in the same product market. 
Lastly, Roshan co-authors look at startups with a majority female team, since these groups might have tighter networks by virtue of being underrepresented, underrepresented among startups. In all cases, the relationship between adopting another startup's web technology and physical proximity was weakened and actually usually broken in the presence of these alternative forms of closeness. As with labs, it seems that if two startups are likely to already be aware of each other because they work in the same industry or for other reasons, well, then physical proximity is redundant and doesn't help them discover each other, nor does it offer much of an advantage in terms of easier communication. Hassan and Koenig provide even sharper evidence of the importance of pre-existing knowledge of your peers. Unlike the other papers, they don't have to guess if people know each other. Before the boot camp started, they just asked everyone if they knew any of the other attendees. About half the attendees already knew at least one other boot camp attendee before they started. Now, this group was much less affected by proximity than those who didn't know anybody. There's a chart in the newsletter. There's a few charts I've skipped over. Uh, but it shows, it kind of compares the probability that two different people in this boot camp knew each other uh, based on how close their workstations were to each other. And if they didn't know anyone going into the camp, well, there's this steep line dropping from the upper left to the lower right. Uh, if you were closer, you're more likely to know this person. And then at the same time, there's another dashed line which covers the same probability of knowing people based on distance for people who already came into the boot camp knowing some people. And for them, the line is a lot flatter uh, or in some cases even slopes up, whereas you're more likely to know people uh, is unrelated to distance or perhaps you are more likely to know people who are distant. In any word, in other words, attendees with pre-existing ties were still more likely to say they knew someone who was assigned a workstation near them, but the effect was a lot weaker than those who entered the camp alone, and they appeared no more likely to ask them advice and a lot less likely to send them digital messages. So as an additional piece of evidence, Hassan and Koenig look at the correlation between the score on first-week team projects and the scores of the nearby team projects. If you came in not knowing anybody, the score you got on your project was more correlated with the scores of your neighbors. That is, if you had the good luck of getting placed next to a bunch of good teams, you ended up with a good score. But if you had the bad luck of getting placed next to a bunch of bad teams, well, you ended up with a bad score. But if you came in already knowing some people, well, then your score was basically unrelated to the scores of the teams that were nearby. Again, that's evidence close proximity was a channel for sort of meeting people and then trading information, but apparently people who already had a social network just didn't do this. Finally, it's worth mentioning that Miranda and Claudel 2021, that MIT study, they find results that are also consistent with discovery being more important than communication advantages. Uh, pairs of MIT professors and staff who move to buildings that house more departments are more likely to begin a collaboration than those who are moved into departments, into buildings with fewer departments. That is holding fixed a lot of other stuff like the number of people and the size of the building. And that means, you know, we might expect people to sort of already know most of the people in their own department, whether they're in the same building or spread out. But it requires proximity to discover people who are in other departments. Lastly, all of this is broadly consistent with some emerging evidence that people are quite productive working with their existing teams when they work remotely, so not even in an office together, which suggests that the communication advantage of proximity has been at least partially slain by digital technology for collaboration. 
Some of that same literature, however, also finds that remote workers are more siloed and less apt to form connections across teams. And that's also consistent with the notion that offices help people meet who would not otherwise do so in the course of their work. And there are some links in the newsletter uh, to those assertions. Suppose you wanted to go all in on the relationship creating function of the office. How would you organize your office? Well, unfortunately, this work suggests you can't just scale up the office to be super giant and house lots of potential connections. Because when we peer inside of buildings, we learn that the effects of co-location are narrowly constrained. If someone is more than 100 meters away, maybe even 50 meters, it may not matter that they are in the same building at all. So it pays to be a bit intentional about how you put people close together, uh, how you use your sort of proximity budget. To maximize discovery, you should group people who are unlikely to know each other via other avenues, but who might plausibly benefit from being able to share ideas. And as I've discussed elsewhere in other parts of New Things in the Sun, we have some evidence that new knowledge is most likely to be useful when it is adjacent to what you know, rather than identical to what you knew or, or just very distant. So putting together people who don't know each other, but work on somewhat related stuff, but not identical stuff, maybe that's ideal. That said, sometimes important new breakthroughs do happen when connections are made between seemingly unrelated ideas. But there are also other ways to expand your proximity budget a bit. In addition to the walking distance between pairs of startups, Roche, Oedel, and Catalini 2022, they also look at what happens when a common space, such as a group kitchen, an open sitting space, or an elevator waiting area, lies along the shortest walking path between two startups. They find these common areas effectively double the distance at which startups influence each other, whereas only the 25% closest startups exert a statistically detectable influence on each other in their study. The 50% closest do if there's a shared common area linking those two startups. And that's consistent with some non-experimental evidence too. Uh, Apple Muhlenbroek et al. 2017 studied 138 R&D workers at a major Dutch document management and printing firm. Uh, it asked them to keep diaries on all their workplace interactions. And so that let them sort of see in really fine detail where do people actually meet. And among workers whose workplaces were within a 30-meter walk of each other, more than 80% of informal unplanned meetings took place at one of the two employees' workplaces. So somebody walked over and they just had a chat at that workspace. But for those who are farther apart, less than 60% of these meetings took place at workplaces. Instead, the hallway or sort of project rooms were much more likely to be used. Another study, Cabo et al., 2014, also looks at the probability two scientists initiate a research project as a function of both their walking distance and something called their path overlap. Now, walking distance we've seen in all these preceding studies. It, it's measuring how short a distance it takes to walk from one person's office to another. But this path overlap measure measures the amount of floor space that two scientists share in their typical work routine. So that's going to be going to the elevator, the restroom, entering and exiting the building, whatever. And it might be that two people have offices that are actually quite far apart, but they are still very likely to cross paths on a long walk to the elevator or maybe to the kitchen. And indeed, Cabo and co-authors find pairs of scientists are more likely to initiate research projects when they are closer but also when they have more of this path overlap. So offices can also spark connection between people who are not very close together, so long as there are other aspects of the building design that sort of funnel distant people into the same space. 
That might be common areas that serve a large group, but it could also be shared hallways and corridors. Uh, For example, you could design a building uh, that forced everyone to use one big long hallway that connected to all parts of the office. And you can't see it, but we've got a picture here of sort of the Apple Park, Apple headquarters, which is a giant circle. Another way to force more mixing is to shift people around so that their nearest neighbors change from time to time. Indeed, both Miranda and Claudel 2021 and Catalini 2017 rely on worker moves to identify the effect of co-location. So we know this works. Now, of course, moving people around all the time could get pretty annoying, especially for people who like a good routine or they find meeting new people to sort of be draining. But occasional moves might be worth it if the communication advantage of co-location are small relative to sort of these discovery advantages, which I'm suggesting they are. The move to hybrid work arrangements also suggests one way to encourage this kind of frequent rotation of neighbors, so long as everyone's schedules are allowed or forced to vary and not become synced up with the same cohort, or if you shift around where people have their office space every time they come into the office. Hybrid work might also make it less annoying to be sort of moved frequently since workers could enjoy the stability of their home routines and they can get a break from meeting new people on their work from home days as well. Now to push this line a bit further, we could begin to ask how frequently is it necessary for workers to be in the same place to reap most of the benefits of discovery? Could a fully remote company enjoy most of the benefits of an office from the perspective of at least of facilitating new connections with just say an annual retreat? Well, there's a literature on academic conferences, and that strongly suggests temporary meetings do help facilitate new collaborations. Joint attendees at a conference are, say, 10 to 20% more likely to collaborate compared to comparable controls. But while that's significant, it's a lot smaller than the estimated effects of co-location in the same building. Recall Miranda and Claudel 2021 and Catalini 2017. Those both found co-located workers were about twice as likely to collaborate, or at least collaborated twice as often, possibly more. Moreover, Catalini finds the probability of collaboration steadily rises with each year that two labs are in the same building. Although Miranda and Claudel, they find the effect plateaus after two years. Now, on the other hand, again, I guess this is our third hand, the academic conference literature finds much larger effects than 10 to 20%, possibly as large as the effects of co-location, when people meet in sort of very small groups at conferences, like three to four or have sort of a coordinated discussion group. So it might be that short worked retreats that are intentionally designed to foster new connections are able to match most of the benefits of passive office-based network formation. And I expect we'll see plenty of research on this in the years ahead. Thanks for listening. And now it's time for the standard end of the episode boilerplate. You've been listening to a podcast from New Things Under the Sun, a living literature review with the mission of communicating what academia knows about innovation in accessible but rigorous research syntheses. New Things Under the Sun is a living literature review, which means I go back and update these research syntheses as new research is published or I discover it. The podcast you listen to is taken from the first published version of one of these syntheses. To see if there's been any updates about the claims made in this podcast, or to learn more about this project, head to newthingsunderthesun.com.